This morning, uh, I want to to add to one of one of Jared's announcements. Um, if you don't love cleaning that much, you still can come and, and help clean on that on that uh, cleaning day. I I know that some of you may not love it as much as Jared made out that we should love it, but you're welcome to come on June on May fifteenth and is it the fifteenth and uh, and be a part of the cleaning process and just getting the church as he said. Um, getting the church ready for us to return back inside if we're not already there, and uh, just being good stewards of what God has given us with the buildings that we have. And we don't have uh, a staff, we don't have anybody on staff that is maintenance or cleaning or um, any of those things, janitorial. And so it's, it, it falls back on all of us as the body of Christ. And so um, please come and, and, and be a part of that. I want to welcome you this morning as well. I, we, we have a lot of new faces this morning in, in our congregation, and we want you to know that we're glad that you're here, and uh, you, you are a blessing to us. And just by being able to see new faces and being willing to come and meet outside, and, and uh, it's a blessing to our hearts to have you here. And we pray that the Lord will bless you through the preaching of His Word and also through um, the time that we've had to sing together. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first of the New Testament Gospels. Uh, Jesus, uh, the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are, are meant to expose us to who Jesus Christ is, to his ministry here on this earth. And we know that um, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that 2,000 years ago he was sent into this world, the a world that was full of sinners, uh, people who had um, forsaken God, who had turned their back on Him. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that there was no one, that there was no one on the earth who was good. There was no righteousness on the earth at all, that all men were sinners. And, and that comes from a psalm. The psalm uh, teaches the same thing and all the way in the Old Testament, that God looked down from heaven and He saw that the world was just full of sinful people, men and women who had forsaken Him. And, and the reality of it is, is that that's still true today, that, there, that um, in and of ourselves, there is no one who is good. We have no goodness in ourselves to bring before God and to somehow make a, a trade with Him so that He will give us eternal life and we will give Him something that He can benefit from. We have, we have nothing to offer. That's the uniqueness of the gospel of Jesus Christ is, is that it is a relationship with Jesus Christ that is the result of a gift that he has given us that's completely unmerited, undeserved, and unearned. What Jesus Christ offers us this morning is free, and it is a relationship with God that comes as a result of, being, uh, uh, comes as a result of what Jesus Christ accomplished 2,000 years ago. And he writes in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, these four Gospels, he writes this story to uh, help us understand what his work was. What did he do when he came 2,000 years ago, and what impact did it have? In, in light of that, um, we're in a series right now called I Don't Think It Means What You Think It Means, and this morning we're going to just continue that series, and we're going to look at what's called the Great Commission, and try to unfold a little bit about what the Great Commission is. What does God expect in the Great Commission? And, and also deal with perhaps some of the things that God 
um, that has been confused about the Great Commission, and we need to maybe recapture the, the true meaning of the, of the Great Commission. Okay? Um, to start with, let's, let's remember the Great Commission is the last instruction, the last instruction that God gives to the church, to God's people, prior to ascending up into heaven. So God the Son, 2,000 years ago, He came down to the earth. He, he took upon Himself mankind's sins. Then He died on the cross and paid for those sins. He was buried in the grave for three days and three nights, and then He, was, he ascended out of the grave and, and rose again. And He walked amongst uh, the disciples and people. Uh, 500 plus people, Acts tells us, saw Him walking physically after His resurrection. And the reason for that is, is, to, is to give evidence to the fact that Jesus Christ did not just raise from the dead spiritually, but he physically rose from the dead. And that is a promise. When Jesus rose from the dead, it was a promise that all those who follow Jesus will also one day raise from the dead as well. And we will raise from the dead to eternal and everlasting life. So Jesus Christ came to do that, and, and as he has walked amongst us for uh, a season or walked amongst men to prove his resurrection, at the very end of this, he gives us a command. He gives his disciples a command, but it's, it's really an applicable command to all of us. He gives them this, this admonition or this command at the end of each one of the Gospels and also in the book of Acts, and it's called the Great Commission. And it's meant for all of us to, to, to listen to, to understand, and then, and then to carry out. And so I want to read it to you. If you want to follow along, I'm going to actually read it in each one of the Gospels. So you'll get a, a full view with, of what the Great Commission is. And then, um, Lord willing, we'll unpack it a little bit from Matthew 28 specifically. And what does the Great Commission mean to us? So Matthew 28 is where we'll start, verses 18 down to verse number 20. The Bible says, And Jesus came and said to them, his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age." And that is Matthew's uh, um, recollection or uh, rendering, if you will, of the Great Commission that the Lord gives us. In Mark chapter number 16, if you want to turn there, you're welcome to as well. In Mark 16 is Mark's rendering or his um, presentation of the same thing that Christ tells us. In Mark 16 and verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And then we have Luke's version of this same commission in Luke 24. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you would like and follow along in your Bibles. Luke 24, verse 46 the Bible says, Thus it is written that the Christ, that Jesus Christ, should suffer and on the third day should rise again from the dead. And this is the gospel. 
The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the gospel is Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again the third day and he has given us or he has offered to us life. He's offered to all mankind new life, eternal life, life beyond death. He is offering that to all mankind. And he says that it's based on the, his uh, death, his suffering, his death, and his resurrection. And then it says, in the, um, as we continue, he rose from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in Jerusalem or stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And that is Luke's um, rendering of the Great Commission. And then in John chapter number 20, we have John's rendering of the Great Commission. And if you want to turn there, you're welcome to John 20. Verse 21, we'll read down to verse 23. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father hath sent me, even so I am sending you. And I just want to make a comment on that. What Jesus is saying is, is that we are carrying on the mission that God sent Christ to fulfill. Christ accomplished all things necessary for salvation. There's only one thing that's left to do, and that is to proclaim the gospel. We have been left here in the world to proclaim the gospel, to complete that which Jesus Christ accomplished. And Jesus satisfied the wrath of God on behalf of all those who believe. Our job is to preach the gospel to believe in Jesus Christ. So he has sent us, the Bible says, um, in the same way or for the same reason that he sent Christ, he is now sending us. And when he said this, the Bible goes on to say, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. And this is John's recollection of the Great Commission. And then Acts 1.8, the beginning of Christ, the beginning of the disciples' ministry, and the very conclusion of Christ's ministry on the earth is Acts chapter number 1, where Christ is going to ascend to the Father, and He is going to leave us here, and He's going to leave us with a commission. He's going to leave us with a command, if you will. In Acts 1.80 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Acts 1 and verse 8 gives us the foundation, if you will, for the church. And the church is going to be established in Acts chapter number 2 and uh, with Pentecost. And then, then thereafter, you have all of these church epistles that are written about the way that the church functions and given, and there's instructions given so that they can function better for the glory of God. So from these five different presentations, if you will, of the Great Commission, what I'd like to do, uh, spending the rest of our time, is just unpacking the one in the book of Matthew, chapter number 28, and we'll refer to the other ones as well. And I want to look at some instructions, some principles for the Christian life. What has God called us to do? What has God left us here to do? What is our um, significance in this life now? 
So let's look at a few things here. If you're taking notes, the first thing is, what are some of the misunderstandings? What are some things that are confusing in, in today's culture, Christian culture, about the Great Commission? Number one is that it's not just for the apostles. Some might say, well, this was a command given to the apostles in Matthew 28 and Mark, Luke, and John, and therefore it's the apostles' commission. It's something that they were meant to carry out and to accomplish. I believe that the scriptures are clear not only in relation to these five presentations of the Great Commission, but also in the church letters that it is the responsibility of the New Testament church to carry out the commission of Christ. It is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. It is to share the gospel message with every creature on the earth. So it's not just a commission for the apostles. It's a commission for all of us. Number two, it's not a call to the mission field. Okay, some might say, well, this is just for missionaries. If I'm not called to be a missionary, and that means to go overseas or to go to another country or another land, then this really doesn't apply to me. Remember this. This is not a call to, mission, to missions work in other lands. It is a call to missions work, but I'll explain that to you a little bit later. It's not a call to door-to-door visitation where people will go around and they'll knock on doors and they'll try to share the gospel with people by knocking on their doors. It's not a call to lifestyle evangelism where people think that their only responsibility is to live out the gospel in front of people. It's not a call to that. It's literally a call to many of these things packaged together. And then lastly, some, uh, a last misunderstanding is it's not a suggestion. And this is a command to the disciples. When he says to go in all the world and make disciples, he is telling them, he is commanding them and in the imperative way. He is making a command on them that their role, their responsibility is to make disciples of, of, of all the people that they come into contact with. So those are some misunderstandings of the Great Commission. Secondly, why is it called the Great Commission? And there are several reasons why, and again, this is not a, uh, the text doesn't call it the Great Commission. It's just something that's been, re, it's been referred to as throughout um, history of God's Word, people who have interpreted God's Word, people who have tried to explain God's Word, they all refer to it as the Great Commission. Let me give you a few reasons why they might refer to it as the Great Commission. Number one is because of the power that is behind it. If you think about the verse number 18, it says that Christ was given all power in heaven and on earth. And so if you can picture for a moment somebody who has, who has ultimate power, ultimate authority, and they can do whatever they want, they can, they can make whatever they want to happen. And, the, and, and, the, and, and Jesus Christ's power at this moment is unlimited. He has, he has merited this power based upon his death and resurrection. When Satan thought he could defeat Christ, Jesus Christ made it very clear that he was way more powerful than Satan was. When death thought that it held Christ for three days and that it, would, it had ultimately defeated the Son of God, Jesus Christ made it very clear to death that he has no power, that it has no power over Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ bore the sins of mankind and Jesus Christ died on the cross and sin thought it had defeated Christ, Jesus Christ's resurrection makes it very clear that sin did not defeat Jesus Christ. You see, the reality of it is, is Jesus Christ is, is the most powerful and authoritative being in the universe, and he was the most powerful and authoritative human that walked upon the face of this earth, based upon his perfection, his death, and his resurrection. 
So when he says, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth, man, you better sit up and listen because what he's going to say next is going to be super important. What he's getting ready to say is, I'm going to take the power that I have received from my Father who is in heaven and I'm going to, to give it to you. I'm going to minister it through you, church. So maybe it's called the Great Commission because there's a great power behind it, a great significant power behind it. And right after Jesus Christ proclaiming the essence of his power, he gives this commission. Maybe it's the Great Commission because of its reach. He says in many of the Gospels, I think Matthew and Mark specifically, that this is to reach the whole world. The gospel is the, the gospel of Jesus Christ dying, being buried, and raising again the third day is the gospel for everyone. The Bible says that there is no other gospel. Galatians chapter number one, there was a, there was a, a group of, of legalistic people who wanted to make the gospel into something that was legalistic. And the Lord says, let them be accursed to who make another gospel, which is not another gospel. The reason is because there is no other gospel. The gospel is that you were a sinner. Jesus Christ came into the world and he paid for your sin and he resurrected the third day. And all of those who believe that by faith and embrace that by faith have been given his spirit. We've been saved. We've been delivered. Man, it can reach down. The gospel of Jesus Christ can reach down to the lowest depths of, of, of the muck and the mire of the world. There is no sinner that's too sinful for Jesus Christ's gospel to reach. There's nobody too far gone that Jesus Christ cannot touch with his saving power. Matter of fact, there is no crime that you can commit that will, that will demand a punishment worse than death. You can commit the greatest crime upon the face of the earth, and the only punishment that you will get at the end of the day is no greater, if at, the, at its greatest point, would be death. And Jesus Christ satisfied that on behalf of all those who believe and trust him. You see, that's the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that you can be forgiven, you can be justified, you can be set free, not because you are a good person, because there are no, one who, there are no good people, but because Jesus Christ died in your place, and he's willing to change you and transform you, because it reaches to all the world, why it might be called the Great Commission. Number three is because of its requirements. It's not a normal commission. You know, the reality of it is this morning is all of us have a commission. We could go around this room and we could talk about what job God has called you to, what work he has called you to do in this world. All of us have a commission in life, don't we? The interesting thing about the Great Commission is it's not a normal commission, is it? What the Great Commission does is it takes all other commissions and it packages them together and it overrides them all. In other words, if you're called to be a... If you're called to be an engineer or if you're called to be a, a, a military service, if you're called into being an accountant or whatever you're called in to do, the Great Commission infuses itself into your natural calling and it overrides your natural calling. In other words, your natural calling is for the purpose of the Great Commission. What God has done by planting you where you're at is he has planted a gospel person in a place that he can then share the gospel with other people. So the Great Commission is great because it overrides all other commissions. It connects to all other commissions. It overlaps all other commissions. 
It may be called the Great Commission number four because of its impact, its ability to take that which is lost and make it found, its ability to take a guilty and make it innocent, its ability to take somebody who is lost and find them, its ability, its impact, its, its transformation, its ability to take a sinner and make them righteous. This is what the gospel does. This is what the Great Commission is capable of doing. It may be called the Great Commission, lastly, because of its timing, because of the fact that it is the last, it is the last instruction that is given by Christ prior to ascending up into heaven. He is leaving us here to carry on the ministry that he has given to us. He's leaving us here to carry on the ministry that he started when he died on the cross for people's sins and he rose from the grave the third day. There's only one thing missing from a person being saved based upon those two realities and that is them hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ and believing it. And do you know who he left to to tell people about that? He left us to tell people about that. So that may be some reasons why it's called the Great Commission. Now, what is the Great Commission? We're going to look at it right here in Matthew chapter number 28. We'll look at what it is for a few moments, and then we'll look at what is the empowering of it. And then we'll be done. What is the Great Commission? First of all, he says, Go ye, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations. So to begin with, the Great Commission is a going. It means to to be on your way, to continue on your journey as as you are going into the world. Matthew 28, 11, if you just go back a few verses, says it this way. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. In, In other words, this is not a This word go is not the central command. It's not the main verb of this text. It literally means as you are going through life. In other words, if you can think of it this way, the disciples have come to Christ in his last moment, and he's telling them, he gives them some instruction, and then he tells them that he says this, as you are going through life. How many of us are in that state of as you are going through life today? We're all in that state, aren't we? It fits every single one of us. This statement, go therefore, fits every single one of us because it just simply means as you are going through life. As you are going through life, as you are doing what you do, as you're doing what I've called you to do, as you're doing what I've commissioned you to do, as you're engineering or military work or whatever you're doing, as you are doing that. Again, it goes back to the fact that this this great commission uh, interconnects all other commissions. It overrides those commissions. Or another way of saying that is is it gives those commissions a purpose. This would be similar to somebody walking into an instructor's office, um, receiving some instructions, and then the instructor saying, okay, now go your way. What Jesus is telling them, and, and remember this about the disciples, the disciples have walked with Jesus now for three and a half years, and they loved being near him, didn't they? They just wanted to be in his presence, to hear his instruction and his teaching. But what he's telling them now is, is I'm going to ascend into heaven, and now you have to go on your way. But, but as you are going on your way, 
It's interesting because in Acts 1, he, he's getting ready to ascend, and the disciples are all standing there, and they're all gazing at him right, right when he's ascending up into heaven. And his response is, is, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? Why are you standing here watching me go up into heaven? There's work to be done. He says, I'm going to come back again in the same way, and I'm going to take you with me. But, but right now, there is work to be done. There's a commission to do. There's, a, there's an important commission and, and significant commission that people's souls are on the line with this commission. If we don't preach this gospel, people don't get saved. People need to hear about Jesus dying for their sins and resurrecting the third day and crushing sin under his heel. People need to hear about that. People need to know that Jesus Christ is big enough to overcome their sins. People need to hear that message, and, and we're the only ones that, that can tell it. We're the only ones that know it. We're the only ones that understand it. So he says, go. He says, go. As you're going, as you're doing life, whatever you're doing in life, you're to be, you're to be, a, you're to be a commissioned person. You're to be a gospel person. It's time to go. No longer stay here by my side, but go out and accomplish the work that I've given you to do. We find ourselves sitting in church on Sunday, and I think church is super important. We find ourselves sitting in church on Sunday morning. We might find ourselves at a Bible study throughout the week. But listen, that's not the going. The going is, is as you're walking through life, you're to be doing the Great Commission. It is to be infiltrating your world. It is to be saturating your walk. When somebody comes to know Christ, they should be transformed to a point where we're, we're as they are going, their things are happening that are spiritual around them. They're like, like uh, I think um, Jared read this morning, they are bearing fruit. It says some 30-fold, some 60-fold, and some 100-fold, but it doesn't say any zero-fold. I wonder sometimes if I'm a 30-folder or a 60-folder or a 100-folder. But you know what? It doesn't really matter. How many disciples have I made? What it's saying in that text of Scripture is simply this. God made you a disciple. Now, how many times have you replicated yourself? How many disciples have we made? Jesus had 12 faithful ones that ended up producing many. The Bible says in Matthew 9, verse 37 and 38, and he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few and getting fewer, might I say, adding to this text. I'm not adding to this text, but that's just a thought. <laughs> the laborers are getting fewer, aren't they? Do you know what? We all want to sit around the table. There's an old song. It says, my house is full but my fields are empty. Who will go and work for me today? It seems like my children all just want to stay around my table and no one wants to work in my fields. That's what comes from this verse right here. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I think some of us would question whether or not the harvest is plentiful. Remember when Jesus in John chapter number four, I believe it is, he's with the woman at the well and 
The disciples, they, they're talking all about, um, they're worried about food, and Jesus is witnessing to the woman at the well. You guys remember that story? And he's telling her about Jesus, about salvation, about eternal life. And the, the disciples come back up and they're like, why are you talking to this woman, Lord? She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. I mean, every, every negative against her talking to Jesus, talking to her was given by her disciples. And you know what Jesus Christ's response was? He's like, look out on the fields. They are white, all ready to harvest. That's Jesus' response to his disciples. And I guarantee you that the world during that time was as, was as wicked as it is today. The problem was is the perspective of the disciples were they weren't looking for the right thing. What they were worried about was food. What they were worried about was protection. What they were worried about is everything physical. And Jesus says to them, look. Look at the fields. They're white unto harvest. There's a story of a man in the military. He was out in the war, and he was, he was fighting, and they were all fighting. And, and one night, all the soldiers came back to the campground, and, and he wasn't there, and nobody knew where he was, and he wasn't there for hours and, and hours. And all of a sudden, there he came. he came. He came coming through the fields, and he came back into the camp, and he had another man with him. And it was a prisoner of war. He had captured somebody, and and he had brought them back, and it was a, they were all praising him, and they were all like super excited that he had captured one of the enemy. And they said, where did you get, where did you get him? Where did you find him? And he said, they're all over the place. They're all over the place. I had a friend, pastor friend of mine who... Several years ago, I know, I know he told me this story several years ago, so it's been several years since that. But he said, at some point in time in his life, God convicted him about sharing the gospel with at least one person every day of his life. And so what he did was he woke up in the morning and he said every day he prayed, God, please set up an appointment that I might share your gospel with somebody today. When he told me this story, it was 15 years after he started that, praying that prayer, and he said, I haven't gone one day without sharing the gospel with somebody. And he said the main thing, he said the major thing in his life was this. He started noticing opportunities because he was asking for them. He said all the opportunities were there before that. He could have witnessed every day of his life before that, but he wasn't looking. He wasn't focused on spiritual, he was focused on physical. 15 years, and I don't know, I haven't talked to him in a long time. I don't know if he's still continuing to do that, but 15 years he shared the gospel with people every single day of his life. Why? Because he was looking for an opportunity. This is the going that is the Great Commission. It's not, oh, you have to plan a special event or we're going to go to China next week and that's our mission field. No, your mission field is wherever God plants you. It is you are going now. You are doing now. You are ministering now to people. Mark 5 and verse 19 and 20 Jesus Christ has just healed the man who was uh, demon-possessed. And the man says, I want to go with you, Lord. I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. And the Lord says, the Lord did not permit him to go. But he says this, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And tell them how much mercy he has had on you. And tell them his grace. And tell them about his goodness and tell them about his love and tell them about his kindness and tell them about his forgiveness. I'm adding a few of these things here, but 
You get the picture. What the Lord says to this man who has just been forgiven, who has just been set free from demonic oppression, what Jesus is saying to him is go tell other people about what happened to you. You say, well, Pastor John, I don't know. Man, I don't have, I don't know all the details. I can't, I can't speak theologically and I can't. No, what you're to do is to tell what Jesus did for you. What did Jesus do for you? What's your story? He says, and he went away. He began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Wow. What an opportunity. That's what we're called to. So, so going, the first thing is going. Number two, and this is where the, this is the primary verb of the text. This is the imperative verb, the command, if you will. He says, make disciples of every nation. In other words, be a disciple-making person. A disciple-making person, there's several things that I want you to think about and consider when you think about a disciple-making person. It doesn't say to make a convert, This is not going out and telling somebody the gospel and walking away and leaving them. This is about making a disciple. A disciple is somebody that follows in your footsteps. It's somebody that you have committed your life to connect with them and to set an example for them that they might walk as you walk. This is the Apostle Paul type of discipleship in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 where he says, follow me or imitate me as I imitate Christ. When he says for us to be a disciple-making people, he's not just talking about telling people the truth. He's talking about connecting with somebody and doing life with them in such a way that they can follow in your footsteps and they will be following Jesus. Ask yourself the question, do I have one disciple in my life? Do I have one person that I am committed to doing life with because they need to follow Jesus and I want to set the direction for them? I will submit to you folks that the world has convinced us to live so selfishly that we can't be disciple-making people because it takes sacrifice. You're dealing with, this is what 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 8 and Romans 14 deal with where you are living now for the weaker brother. You don't get to do all of the things that you want to do because you're considering how the weaker brother might view them. How does the weaker brother come into a significance? It comes into a significance when you're discipling that weaker brother. Yeah, you can live selfishly all you want if you have no disciples. But then you're not keeping the Great Commission. So get a disciple, get someone to follow in your footsteps, and then make sure that your footsteps are right. And make sure that your footsteps are good, not for the strong Christian, but for the weak Christian. This will, rip, this will root us all out of our selfishness. This will root us all out of our selfishness. The Apostle Paul is the greatest example of this, and he said on many occasions, all things are lawful for me. Paul said, I can do whatever I want. I have been forgiven by the almighty God of the universe. I have no law against me anymore. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not good for me. And let me suggest this to you. Not only are all things not good for you, all things are not good for the person who's watching you. We're to be disciple-making people. Do life with somebody intentionally. Do life with somebody intentionally. Jesus Christ spent three and a half years with 12 disciples, and he did life with them. And sometimes I think he might say, man, I wish I wouldn't have had to do life with these guys. But that's a part of doing life with each other, isn't it? There are going to be times where you're going to be like, oh, I wish I wasn't doing life with this person. 
That's a part of doing life with somebody. Jesus did it for three years, three and a half years to make 12 disciples. One of them, one of them denies him and he hangs on the cross because of it. Another one denies him three times but comes back. I mean, these guys were a disaster, but you know what? He spent time with them. He discipled them. Live intentionally. Live life intentionally with somebody. Pick somebody out. It starts with your family. It starts with your, with your mate, first of all. Disciple your mate. If you're married, if you have a mate, disciple them. It goes secondly to your family. The second most important is your own family. Disciple your children. And then it goes beyond that is disciple somebody. Some of you are retired. Some of you have kids that are all out of the household, and you're like, oh, you know what? I'm retired from discipling. I, I had enough headaches the last 20 years. I'm ready to retire. And the Lord says, no, I got somebody else for you, but they're not in your family. It's harder, isn't it? Make disciples of people. Be a disciple-making person. Teach them the gospel is also a part of this. Of this, It's not just living life with them, but it's sharing the truth with them. Remember what Mark 16, 15 said? He says, he says go into all the world and preach the gospel. Mark's version of, of, of evangelism, Mark's version was gospel preaching. So remember this. Lifestyle evangelism is making disciples. Teaching the gospel is a part of it. People need to hear the truth. They need to hear about Jesus' forgiveness. They need to hear about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They need to hear about His mercy and His grace and the fact that He can take the most wretched of individuals and make them new. Listen to me, 2 Corinthians 5.16, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. It's almost like being born again. I think that's somewhere in the Bible too, right? It's like starting all over again. It's like I, I, am, I am the enemy of God and now I'm his friend. Life is new to me. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. People need to hear that message, not just see it, but they need to hear you speak about it. I believe this, that if you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, there should be a burning inside of you at some level to tell somebody else about it. There should be something in there that just stirs that you want to share what Jesus has done for you with somebody else. And Jeremiah refers to it as a burning in his, in his stomach. Fire. We need that. And then he says, so be a disciple making people, be a going people. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't think that he's referring to necessarily, I, I know that there's physical baptism, and I think that that's an important piece of it. But I think there's more of a representation here to what, rep, what baptism represents. I think he's saying, he's saying, disciple them, share the gospel with them, and then help them identify with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You see, baptism is identification. It's like having a driver's license. You're identifying with somebody. I think he's saying that the discipling and the job of, of we as Christians is to... Is to Help people identify with Christ. And not just Christ, but the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to help them to identify with all three persons of the Trinity. We're to help, them con we're to help connect them to the Trinity. To help them understand that His death is our death. His resurrection is our resurrection. His new life is our new life. We're to... Baptize them. We're to connect them. We're to help them identify. Identify. 
The third part, or the fourth part of the, of the Great Commission is simply this. He says, teach them to obey. Teach them to submit. And I just want to say this to you. The, the, the gospel is free. The gospel is amazing. The gospel is transformative. The gospel does not negate obedience. This idea of that there's no, the, the gospel, the, the Great Commission is not finished when you get done with somebody being discipled and somebody being baptized. That's the part of the gospel. That's part of the, um, the pro- process of making a disciple. But there is teaching them to obey all the things that God has commanded them. I mean, a kid is born into your family, right? Is that like the end of the story? Or do you hope to teach them some things so that they can live a successful life? They can live a productive life. They can live a right type of life, right? So when the Lord says, teach them what I've commanded them, what he's saying is is to teach them what's best for them. Teach them what's biblical for them. This idea of throwing out all of the commands of Scripture is foolishness, folks. It's not biblical. You are to teach somebody who has come to know Christ, who is now identifying with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy One, the Substitutionary One, and the Indwelling One, we're to help them identify with those, and then we're to teach them how to live their life. I think sometimes we get to that point, it's like, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm saved, I've been baptized, and I can do whatever I want now. That's not what the Bible teaches. And, and listen, that would be a, honestly, if you, were a, if you were a parent like that, that's an absent parent. That's not a wise parent. It's not wise parenting. Well, they're born now, so they can do whatever they want. They know they're my children. They're born. No, that's not biblical. Teach them the things that God commands us. Teach them to do right. Teach them not to have idols. Teach them not to be immoral. Teach them not to be drunk. Teach them not to be given to pornography. Teach them these things. These are God's things. What we're supposed to do. We don't have to require that of them. They're changed on the inside. We just need to teach them these things. They need to just know them. I've always found it interesting. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Lastly, what is the basis of the Great Commission? And I'm just going to give you these things very quickly. I don't know what time it is, but I, I feel like I've gone long enough. Let me give you some things real quick, okay? Number one is the presence of Christ. The basis of the Great Commission is the presence of Christ. He says at the very end of that, he says, go into all the world, uh, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you because I am with you always, even to the end of the age or the end of this age. Christ's presence in your life ought to be that which motivates you to want to give Christ a help want to assist others to have Christ's presence in their life. That is the motivating factor. Christ is with me now, and therefore I want him to be with others. 2 Corinthians 5.14, the love of Christ compels us or constrains us. It's not only the love of Christ, but it's the power of Christ. Again, we go back to all powers given to me in heaven and earth. Not only is it the power of Christ, but it's the, empower, it's the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Acts 1 in verse 8 says that the Spirit will come upon you. Luke 24, 49 says, don't go out and do this until the Spirit of God has come upon you. 
because it's the spirit of God's work. You're just a messenger. You're just a voice. The God is speaking through you. God is ministering through you so that other people can see that it's not about you, but it's about him. It's the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit. And lastly, it's the power of the gospel. The gospel, remember this, the gospel preached will either bring forgiveness or condemnation. It always accomplishes one of those two things. The gospel preached, Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection preached will always bring forgiveness to those who believe and embrace it, and it will bring condemnation to those who reject it. And this is what he says in John 20, 23. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is one of the most difficult verses to understand in all of Scripture because it sounds like the disciples are being given the power to forgive sins, but they're not. What they've been given is they've been given the gospel message, which has the power to forgive sins. But that power to forgive sins that's within the gospel message also has the power to condemn the sinner. Matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians, I believe it is, the Bible says that the gospel is the smell of life to life to some, the aroma of life to life to some, and it is the aroma of death to death to others. The gospel, the power of the gospel, the power to forgive your sins and the power to set you free if you will believe it, and also the power to condemn those who will refuse to believe it. The Great Commission this morning is the sending out of all believers with the gospel message of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit of Christ for the glory of the Heavenly Father. My question to you in closing is, will you go? Will you go today? Will you be one of these people who is commissioned by God to be going but to be purposeful in your going. To never view another appointment, another meeting as being insignificant, but viewing them as being appointments by God, what we call divine appointments. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word today. We thank you for your kindness, your love, your grace, your mercy to save us. And and we also, Lord God, are thankful that you left us here to, with the privilege of communicating this to other people. I just pray that we haven't become so earthly-minded, so fleshly-minded, and so selfish-minded that we've neglected what you left us here for. I pray, dear God, for conviction today, that it would fall upon each one of our hearts, and that we would be, we would be Lord, repentant for not carrying out your commission as we ought And then, Lord, I pray that you would change us, transform us, plant within each individual today a burning desire to share your goodness with others. Help us, Lord God, to be disciple-making people for your glory and by your grace. Thank you for bringing us all out today. I pray your blessing upon your word and this service. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. I want to thank you all for coming this morning. I hope and pray that this was a blessing to you. I also pray that you'll take the word of God and the truths that you have heard this morning and go home and meditate on them, meditate on the scriptures that have been presented. And um, I trust and pray that God will 
do a special work in your heart.